0: Are in this place with us today, and so we um, offer this time to you and voices that are so full of hope and so full of love that um, love for you for seeing past everything that we don't bring to the table and saying you're worth saving. And so, God, our response can't be anything but to, at a bare minimum, lift up a voice, lift up a hand, um, but give a heart. Uh, to you that is so grateful and in so so in awe of uh, this love that you have for all of us for your children Um, and so God we say first of all thank you I ask that you work and stir in all of our hearts individually and as a church community that we grow to love you more grow to serve you more um, grow to show you more to a world around us that so desperately needs to understand just how much they can be loved so, Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this place. Thank you for your son who gave his all for us. And in his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, that was pretty good, so don't embarrass me.
1: <laughs> it, it, was, it was pretty good. And I. And it's funny that you say that. By the way, I'm Joe Davis. He didn't I'm one plan of the pastors here. And the, night, the title of the sermon is Don't Embarrass Me. There we go. You like how we plan those things with, with okay. prayer? And we didn't pray about that. <laughs> <Just clears throat> um, so <clears throat> let me start off with saying this. So my wife, uh, I told her I was going to talk to her today. And so she decided not to come. No, um, <laughs> she's not feeling well, but I'm going to talk about her. She is irrevocably tied to my public antics. For better or for worse. And more than once, she has said, don't embarrass me. But she doesn't say it like, oh, don't embarrass me. She's like, you know, that I like, do not embarrass me. You know what I'm talking about that? Like, uh huh. Uh-huh. and even at age 50, it strikes fear in my heart. <laughs> So yesterday, we were, uh, we were together, we were at Bush Gardens, and we were just walking through with our niece, Noelle, and I told her what I was talking about today and how I was going to talk about her. And I said, but I do better now, right? I, I don't embarrass you, right? Because, you know, I'm older, and I'm, I'm wiser, and I'm more mature. Hey, don't laugh. And her answer was, her answer was, you don't do it as much. <laughs> so with that being said, I want to tell you, when I was reading this week's passage, Uh, I was very uncomfortable because the rhetoric that Paul uses is he basically says to the Corinthians, don't embarrass me. And it seemed like he was laying a huge guilt trip on them when it came to generosity and giving. And I just didn't want to preach it. I thought maybe I can add more verses and just kind of downplay the don't embarrass me part and go on to something else. But I couldn't because it was so clear and evident in the way that the sentences were constructed in the original language and how there was almost usually sentences in Greek run on and on. And this one was very short. (laughs) So it was a, a specific point was made. Paul was saying he starts off and we'll read it in just a minute, but he starts off with this rhetoric that seemed like it was guilting him. I didn't want to even talk about it. But when I looked closer at the historical application of today's passage, I realized the rhetoric was born out of a close, precious, vulnerable relationship he had with this church in Corinth. Let's look at the passage. Now, it is superfluous uh, for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. In other words, I know I keep talking about it, but I'm going to talk about it again. That's what he says. I know it's superfluous. for i know you're ready i know your readiness of which i had been bragging about to the people of macedonia remember the macedonians were that poor european church from that war-torn region and they had stepped up to make up the difference because the corinthian church had stopped giving because they were in conflict with paul and the macedonians had kind of taken and filled the gap even though they didn't have very much He says, for I know you're ready, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up them. He's saying, because of Macedonia and Achaia, same region, he's saying they've been giving for a year, but now that they hear that you're back on board, they're giving even more. This poor church with not much is doing everything they can to help these suffering Christians in Jerusalem. Remember, that's what the offering was for. It wasn't for Paul. It was for the ministry to these people who are going through horrible times. And he says these poor churches have increased their giving because they found out that you, the rich Corinthians, are coming along board now. And they're excited. I mean, it's pretty cool. But I am sending the brothers. We talked about that team last week, that that faithful team uh, with that sacred trust. Those three guys, the famous ones that were coming to collect the offering. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter. In other words, I've been bragging. Now it's time for me to go pick up the thing that I've been bragging about. So that you may be ready, as I told them, by the way, that you would be. He's kind of really putting the pressure on Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me, because remember, they had given their money and themselves and they were traveling around with this group, maybe for security to help. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated. To say nothing of you, because we were so confident in you, we're going to be humiliated. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you, get there before me. And arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. In other words, that you're giving it not to get something back. You're not giving this because I'm promising you that God's going to make you rich and give you a jet stream. We're not going to do, you know, we're not our Gulf stream, whatever those those planes are. We're not doing it for that. You're doing it just because you want to help the poor, suffering, famine ridden, persecuted Christians in Jerusalem. That's a pretty harsh passage, isn't it? And so you can understand when I first read it, why I was a little, I'm, I don't want to talk to my church that way. But I looked at it and I realized that he had the relationship that was able to do that. So let's look at the history. I want to talk about the Corinthian cavalry. You guys know what the cavalry is like in those old Western movies when people are hurt, you know, they're, they're getting ready to get taken out by bad guys. And, and all of a sudden, the cavalry comes over the hill and destroys all the bad guys and everybody's united and they have a big meal and it's fun. <clears throat> so I want to talk about some significant obstacles just to give you an understanding of the history of this, just to make sure we're in the same place. OK, understand that money is so easy today with PayPal and wires, and credit cards. I mean, checks are even a burden today, right? Writing a check. Why would you write a check? We can, you know. But in the first century, it was a huge deal to move money around. It's not paper. It's hard, heavy, bulky coins, You gotta gather it all together in one place physically, manually. There's no post office to handle it. You gotta do it yourself. And security, when you move these big, bulky chunks of money, is a huge issue because your shipment, frankly, is quite obvious. Oh, what you got bulging out of the sack of that uh, bag behind the the donkey there? They're all little round pieces. What you got in there? It's lifesavers. Leave us alone. It's not (laughs) lifesavers, it's coins. So you need multiple trustworthy people. See, modern banking eliminates all those problems. So not only did Paul face these significant obstacles, he faced another significant obstacle and that is the motivate not not just transporting the money but getting the Christians motivated to serve by giving. I mean, there's broken relationships, there's, there's uh, their own lives, there's, self, there's a lot of things that would keep them from being able to raise funds and transport them where they need to be for these hurting Christians in Jerusalem. So there's significant obstacles. And their conflict, by the way, was well known, this conflict between Corinth and Paul. The feud and disconnection with Paul was well known, so much so that many of the other churches knew, look, The Corinthian church, it's a port town. They've got a lot of cash. They've got a lot of resources, but they're not helping right now because they're fighting with Paul. We have got to come together and bridge the gap for these hurting Christians in Jerusalem. These are Gentile Christians, by the way. We've got to do what we need to do to make sure they have food and shelter and clothing. We've got to do whatever we can because the conflict was well known. But then there is news of restoration news of a precious, full restoration with Paul and has reached the churches in Macedonia where Paul happened to be through Titus. Titus says, Paul, you won't believe after that stern letter you wrote. Here's how they have uh, repented. Here's what they've said. (coughs) And according to the language of 2 Corinthians, they'd already made a commitment to Titus to send to Paul, we're going to start this giving again. We're going to resume being fully connected. Remember we talked about being connected as part of this series on generosity. And the restoration is inspiring. Everyone knows, let's just be blunt about it, everyone knows that Corinth has money. Now Paul says not only do they have money and since they've said they're going to give, I promise you they're going to surprise you with their generosity. And he's bragging about them. You just wait. I know you're struggling. Just wait. When this church who loves God and loves me and loves people, when they start getting connected again, you're going to be blown away by what they accomplish. You're going to be stunned. And so people, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) people are excited about it. They're counting on it. It's, It's like Sunday's coming and we can't wait to get our brothers in Corinth back on board because we desperately are reliant on them. And Paul's affection for them and confidence in them has grown even greater because they have gone through a hard time. Right. And they have this restoration through a biblical process of reconciliation. And You know what I'm talking about? You can go through a hard time with a friend. And then when you have this. You actually deal with it in a right way, in a healthy way. And your relationship was restored. You actually become closer in many respects because you've seen a side of each other, the bad side and the good side. You're more vulnerable. You're more intimate. You're more well known. And what begins to happen is your relationship goes deeper every time you resolve a conflict biblically. So there's this restoration news going about. It's very exciting. And then we see the idea of a desperate need. Right? We understand that's why they have to have immediate action. Because the generosity of the affluent Corinthians is so needed. Since the poor Macedonian churches have been carrying the burden, making up the gap. We talked about that in the previous chapter. To bring the excitement to reality, to fruition, Paul expeditiously sends his team so that the Corinthian offering is ready. And then I want to talk about the main concept for the rest of our sermon today About this vulnerable reliance It's in verse 3 and 4, I'm going to read it to you again just in case But I am sending the brother so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter So that you may be ready as I said you would be Otherwise if some Macedonians come with me And find that you're not ready We would all be humiliated What I first saw as guilt tripping, thanks man. Some of you could have thought of this, you know. <laughs> Ridiculous. <coughs> oh, he's coughing. Hope he gets over it soon. It's annoying. <laughs> so, what I first saw as guilt tripping, right? And Paul being out of line, like, Paul, that's kind of harsh, right? I later this week saw as vulnerable <clears throat> intimacy, love, and reliance. Because remember, Paul is not trying to get this offering so he can get a Cadillac. He's not personally benefiting from this collection, it's for others. In fact, He himself had been more sacrificially, emotionally, spiritually, and financially than anyone else. In money, life, comfort, health, even his freedom he had sacrificed for the benefit of the church. And the Corinthian reconnection and generosity was inspiring to all these other churches. It took their generosity to greater heights because Paul said, oh, don't worry, they're going to come through. And these smaller, poorer churches are thinking, "Well, man, if they're coming through, then let's really push this over the top and let's get this moving. He's been bragging about their repentance. He's been bragging about their generosity. And he's bragging about their commitment to the church, all of which were warranted and merited, by the way. And Paul is explaining how high the stakes are for him personally, emotionally, if Corinth does not come through. And Paul expresses his desperate need of them. How much he is counting on them. He is risking his reputation, his position as an apostle. By the way, the thing that one of the main reasons of Second Corinthians was to defend his apostleship, he's risking it. <clears throat> if he can't get the Corinthians to follow his leadership, that takes a huge hit. It would have, if they weren't able to come through, it would have a terrible impact on his authority in other regions. Paul, you said they were going to help. What's going on with you? It would put his life's work, frankly, something he had dedicated his whole adult life to in jeopardy. Something that came along late in life, by the way. Remember, all the way up to the point that God saved him, his goal was, I'm going to be the best Jewish religious person I can. And now he gives all that up to plant churches. And his whole life work is in jeopardy. Paul would be devastated, embarrassed, discouraged, and hurt. So these words, though, are actually an affirmation of how important the Corinthians are to his mission. Just not only in Jerusalem, but beyond. you follow what I'm saying? Paul is saying, if you guys don't come through, the whole thing is going to come crumbling. That's how much you're needed. And I'm telling you this, I'm making myself very vulnerable with how reliant I am upon you. This is my vulnerable reliance. If you don't come through, it's devastating for me. So I want to talk about the theological. Where does vulnerable reliance come from? What is it? So this is a phrase. It's not a a theological phrase. It's a Pastor Joe phrase. I kind of just made it up myself this week after reading the passage. So here's the way I would define vulnerable reliance. An unguarded, faith-based relationship that relies on God's work in the hearts of others. An unguarded In other words, you're totally open. An unguarded, faith-based relationship that relies on God's work in the hearts of others. This is what Paul had for Corinth. This is beyond, by the way, generosity and giving, right? It it definitely includes that because that's what these two chapters in Corinthians are about. It's about generosity. But this goes far beyond that. It's about how we live. Whether we live a moral life or an immoral one. We're caught up in scandal, or whether we live a life that is scandal-free. It's about how we treat each other, how we handle real conflict between each other. This is what we're talking about when we come to vulnerable reliance. That takes, by the way, to have vulnerable reliance and to rely on God's work in someone else's heart, it takes a supernatural trust in the God who lives in the hearts of your church family. It's a supernatural event because it does not come naturally. I mean, think about it. How else, unless it was supernatural, how else would you explain a superstar Jewish leader like Paul becoming so dependent, so in love, so intimate, and so vulnerably reliant upon the work of God in the heart of who? Gentiles in Corinth. They were the antithesis of everything he grew up with. And now they're the most important people to him in the world. That's supernatural. That only happens because of a common bond in Christ. Paul was willing to show supernatural vulnerability and reliance on God first, and then those in the church whom God had saved. Those churches that he served. And as God saves people, and as God transforms them, and as God makes them new creatures, he knits them together in common faith, and that's exactly what will happen every time if your salvation is real. If your faith is real, you will develop vulnerable reliance. So what are some signs of vulnerable reliance? The first one is conflict resolution. Look, we will be let down when we are vulnerable and we rely on one another. We're going to let each other down because most of you make mistakes. No, we all... <clears throat> we all make mistakes. And we will let each other down. I'll let you down. I already have in the last 18 months we've been a church. But there is a motivation and a commitment to biblical resolution when conflicts come up. Matter of fact, one of our shepherds, Nehemiah, has a real heart to have this idea of a of a conflict resolution pact, a covenant that we as a church would say we will follow. Biblical perspectives and, and processes When there's a conflict And if you have vulnerable reliance you, you commit ahead of time If I have a conflict with you We're going to solve it biblically And the more often that you do this You go through a biblical process Of conflict resolution The more trust and intimacy and healing And vulnerability takes place It births more Because you know people aren't out to get you But out to be with you You can see that being vulnerable In conflict Vulnerable in conflict takes tremendous reliance upon the fact that God is working in the heart of the person you're in conflict with, right? Like, if I don't think God's in you, I, I don't, why would I want to reconcile? You're just going to stab me in the back. But when I know, look, there is no question that God is at work in Mike Bassett's heart. No question. I know that. So when I get in conflict with Mike, I know that I can go through a biblical process because I trust, I don't trust him. I trust the God in him. I mean I do trust you but (laughs) you know what else we have if there's a sign of vulnerable reliance we have public connection it's distinct public promoted oh I'm with him I'm with them I'm with this group of people it's a public connection with people in their success or their failure there's a friend of mine you guys will meet in a few months he's going to come visit He was kind of, I'm not going to give you the name now, but he was kind of a high profile guy. He went through a difficult time and a lot of people abandoned him. And I've known him for years, for decades. And I said, I'm not going to abandon you. I love you. In his success or his failure, I decided I'm going to be publicly connected with this guy. That's when you know you have vulnerable reliance. It's a high risk, high reward scenario when people are so publicly connected and joined together. I mean, think about it. If there is a failure, it can have a huge impact on others. Think about what you would experience as a church if one of our shepherds, one of our leaders, had a moral failure. You are vulnerably reliant upon us as shepherds to live a moral life. And if we fail you, it's going to have an impact. Oh, you go to Grace Life. Isn't that where... Because see, vulnerable reliance is a trust where we accept the messy with the blessed. That's what it is. I'm reliant upon you and I'm vulnerable and I accept it all. That's the way Paul was with Corinth. You know what else happens when you know that you have vulnerable reliance as a church? There's burden sharing. A willingness to serve our community and each other together. Desire to help each other in need. When one party has something the other needs, we share it. That creates a reliant bond. And if you are people of faith and God rests in your heart, when you are in need and somebody shares and, and, and provides for you, you can tell if you have vulnerable reliance, if you turn around and say, you know what? It was help for me. I'm going to help someone else. Not just, I need help again. I need help again. I need help. Look, I need help, but, but at the same time, I want to help. You see how that works? And it's a circle of vulnerable reliance. And there's burden sharing. So no one has to go through life alone. Okay, so that's a theology. You can see how a vulnerable reliance comes from God. I'm going to talk about the devotional. Is there vulnerable reliance at Grace Life? Before I get into this part, it's important for me to say this based upon the title that we picked today. I want you to make an honest assessment of my or our as a church relationship with you individually, personally right now. If you see me as a friend or as a brother or as your pastor who loves you and is proud of you and counts it a privilege to shepherd you, then we are vulnerable to be reliant on each other. That's what we are. If you see me that way. It's with you that I'm going to share my heart with you as Paul did with Corinth. And if that's not cool, like if we haven't earned it yet, that's okay too because it's up to us to earn it. As a church, if you are not vulnerably reliant yet, as I described it, that's not your fault. It's mine or it's ours. But if we have reached that goal with you and you feel like, yeah, I'm publicly connected with this church. I'm willing to share in burdens and I'm willing to go through, if there's a conflict, I won't just leave. I won't just turn my tail and run. I'll work the deal with it. That's vulnerable reliance. That's commitment. If that's where you are, that's what I want to talk about with you. And if that's not where you are, it's our fault, not yours. And you could just listen and email any complaints to Megan Mooney at Hotmail.com. <laughs> This was our, (laughs) I think she closed that email address out a few years ago. (laughs) Here's our Sunday sermon preview that I put up this week right here. A church cannot function without uncomfortable, risky, vulnerable reliance between its members. I mean, it can exist. It may even thrive financially, but it's going to be ineffective unless a church has risky, uncomfortable, vulnerable reliance between its members. Look, and don't get mad at me. In God's wisdom, this is how we set up the church to operate. And this, of course, is beyond generosity and giving. I talked about that earlier. And it's scary, right? It's against our nature to have vulnerable reliance. We'd rather vulnerably rely on our job or our checkbook or family. I mean, that's, that's easier. And even those let us down sometimes, Right? but it's an act of faith in what God is doing in the hearts of those around you that allows you to be vulnerably reliant. It requires the gift of faith because it involves high stakes, financial, relational, reputation, betrayal, failure. All those are part of the risk of vulnerable reliance. And without vulnerable reliance, guys, our church will become weak surfacy, feeble, powerless, broke, stagnant, selfish, worldly, and compromising. That's what will happen to our church if we are not vulnerably reliant. I'm 50 now. I don't got time for that. You know what I mean? Now look, if we become that way, we are an organization living by sight and not by faith. Now, this isn't a rebuke. Don't take it that way. It is not a rebuke. Grace Life's generosity is growing, it's not receding. You guys have not let us down. And I anticipate and have confidence that it will continue to grow. So I am not rebuking my beloved church family that I do adore. I do. I care about you a lot. I think I pray for you guys all the time. Faces come up, and I pray, and I'll, I'll text you or I'll email. I mean, I love you guys. You know, I think about Grace Life probably about twenty-three hours a day. Yes, I have dreams about them. Some of the nightmares, but still. <laughs> no. <clears throat> but I, I tell, like like Paul. I tell people, "How's it going at Grace Life?" I tell people all the time how amazing and gracious our congregation is. I mean, because think about it, guys. Grace life is a culmination of a life experience for many of us. Because church planting is a huge deal. It's big. It's risky. Especially how we did it. (laughs) With no money. We didn't have big organizations coming behind us and promising, you know, two three years of support and most of you here this morning we're here on day one and we're all in 100% succeed or fail I don't know what the future brings but I know this we are 100% vulnerably reliant upon each other to make grace life work to fulfill the vision and one of the things in our vision is what surprising generosity we're mobile we're organic we're biblical and we're generous the mobile one's easy because we couldn't afford a building (laughs) you know what i'm saying oh we're mobile yeah we don't have a bit why well we don't have any money (laughs) so we're mobile we're organic oh how you doing that well good because i don't know the rules so we just call it organic (laughs) biblical that's the one we're really committed to we teach chapter by chapter book by book verse by verse and we believe we're biblical and generous we are generous but we want to be surprisingly generous And I believe we're going there. And so you guys have not let me down. But if we fail, the pain would be very heavy for me and many others. That's why I want to tell you this. I want to make sure you hear this. That's why each week when you entrust us with your surprising generosity, it's very frightening for me as your pastor. It's very humbling because you're saying, we are vulnerably reliant upon you as leaders to handle this money the right way. We talked about that last week. So I know that when you give your surprising generosity to the Grace Life coffers, it's our job to make sure that we are surprisingly generous with it in a responsible, biblical way. Look, we are still very young, relatively small enough church that. Our very monthly success is vulnerably reliant on all of us coming together. I think you understand that. We don't have an endowment or a foundation funding what we do. We're funded by what you do each week. But I can tell you this, in all of my church experiences, and maybe because I just, this is the only one I haven't been fired from, but that's not true. I didn't get fired from the last one. But in all my, and I really do mean this in all of my church experiences, I have never felt a sense of vulnerable reliance with a congregation as I do with Grace Life. I mean, you guys know all of my sin problems and you still show up. I know it's funny, but it's true. I've cut some of you off on 41 just in the last couple weeks. I know, because you send me a text, which I read while cutting you off. It's not a good thing. (laughs) It's a vicious cycle, you know? So I feel just like Paul. I have tremendous confidence in our church. But I'm also nervous, right? As Paul said, don't let me down. But I can tell you this there is no other church I would risk vulnerable reliance with than this one right here. This this is where my vulnerable reliance lies. With you, you know why? And the reason is because I have seen firsthand what God has done through you. We started a church together, after all, in a bar. So we trust that God in our midst will keep doing his work that will lead us to be a surprisingly generous church. That's what I have for you today. So when Paul said, don't embarrass me, I really want you to understand, I don't feel that way about you. But I have to preach what's in the text, right? (laughs) And I'm committing you to be vulnerably reliant. And I hope you will do the same with one another. Dad, we can't be vulnerably reliant on on people unless we trust what you're doing in their heart and life. I thank you that in our church at Grace Life, there is an overwhelming, immense amount of evidence that you have given these folks the gift of faith. You are transforming them. You are changing them. You are showing your work through them. And that is what gives us confidence to be vulnerably reliant with one another. In Jesus' name, amen.